everyone. Welcome to the Coffee and Conversation podcast. This show is a service of the clinicalmanagersource.com, which provides courses, books, podcasts, and resources specifically curated for clinical managers in the home health and hospice space. I'm Julia Maroney, author, speaker, and founder of this program. I've been in home health and hospice for nearly 30 years as a nurse, a provider, and as a national consultant for the last 15 years, working with hundreds of agencies and clinical managers. I created the clinicalmanagersource.com to bring resources to the critical role of the clinical manager, focusing on the keys for success for every clinical manager, supervisor, coordinator, or director in our industry. We want you to thrive, not just survive in your career. We've been doing a series on our podcast this fall, focusing on compliance, technology, and management and leadership. If you missed some of them, no worries, they're still available, and the remaining episodes will be released through the end of the year. We've had some really great guests who generously share their time and their expertise with us. The following is a presentation in the technology series. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. I'm Julia Maroney, your host for the Clinical Manager Source. Today with me, I have Brandy Vissier. Brandy is a clinical informatics nurse who's been a nurse for quite a while, and I'm happy to have her with me here today. Hi, Brandy. Hello, Julia. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time. You have so much to offer. This is really a new kind of a role over the past several years for organizations to implement clinical informatics into their overall processes for IT. So, Randy, tell me a little bit about yourself. How long have you been in the industry? I know you're currently in hospice, but tell us a little bit about your background. Sure. My journey started about 12 years ago when I graduated from nursing school. So I started out in palliative care. I always knew I wanted and loved hospice. I started there at the VA at a veteran hospital and did all sorts of things over there. In my first couple of years as a nurse, it was a great place to learn. I worked in their long-term acute care facility as well as rounded on inpatients in the hospital for their palliative care team. That was an interdisciplinary team. So I was the nurse on the team and there was a physician and a social worker and a chaplain sometimes as well. And then quickly learned that I had a passion for education in addition to hospice and palliative care. So I went back to get my master's in nursing education at that point, transitioned into another acute role at another hospital locally here and really got into being a super user as they were phasing out of their paper charting. And especially they were kind of in a phased approach. So they were going from care plans to electronic care plans, as well as CPOE um, in the hospital. So helped out with that a lot, as well as bedside nursing on a med surge floor. And then I worked about five years at a community college teaching nursing. And then transitioned on into where I'm at today, which is another hospice, primarily hospice um, role with supporting also home health and palliative. So very post-acute world right now that we're in the clinical informatics team there. 
Great. That's quite a career, Brandy. What made you decide on technology? I know education is a passion. How did you get into the technology side? As we went in those different roles at the VA, we started out 12 years ago, very electronic. And to go from that back to paper and some of my other roles, I was a float nurse in hospice as I was getting my master's and working in the acute world as well. And At that point, we were on paper in the homes. So having to go to a home with just your face sheet and a little pencil written, change the Foley while you're there, it's challenging for sure. You'd get there, you'd deal with the family, you'd deal with the patient, and you'd be assessing and be like, oh, you've got a colostomy. That's good to know. Different things that aren't necessarily on that one little sheet of paper that has their name and their address. Definitely saw the need and the benefit of technology along the way in my career because as a float nurse, I was just like, I need to know way more about this patient than what this piece of paper tells me. And you could listen to the voicemail reports and things like that, but it was really more of, I'd love to be able to access this myself, where I'm at, not have to go into an office per se, because maybe the office is an hour in a different direction than where the patient home is. So eliminating that inefficiency, that's really where I saw technology could really open up our world in a post-acute arena because trying to find everything you need to know about a patient on a piece of paper just really wasn't working. Yeah, absolutely. And certainly traveling back to the office to get the travel charts and with yes, that never updated. <laughs> yeah. Certainly can see from a risk point, having that information in front of you is huge. Tell us a little bit about your role now with education and technology. What is the role of clinical informatics? It's so interesting because when I've been to different like boot camps and events where I mingle with other clinical informaticists, It seems to be different everywhere you go, like just based on the organization you're with. But in a general sense, we're all the same in that we're really just trying to bridge that gap between IT and that world of tech stuff and the clinicians and operations and really making sure that we translate the clinician's needs to the technologist and vice versa. We're really the main ones that can do that and do it well. So you really have to get to know both sides of the company and then try and figure out like, let's build this relationship together. (laughs) Translate these things that maybe someone sitting in an office in an IT role wouldn't realize that a nurse out in the field might have a problem with that particular device that you chose or that particular method of connecting because it doesn't work in these other areas. So really, I think overall, that's the main role, no matter where you're at, is that translation and bridging the gaps between clinical and IT. I think it depends on how large your organization is, but but where I'm at now, we're really able to focus on the EMR. In other informaticist roles, I've heard where they focus on like literally every application you have, which you play a role, you got to know it all. But as far as being a subject matter expert, we've really had the benefit of learning the EMR front to back and all its quirks and how it works, how it connects. And then outside of the technology world, there's also a role to play with the workflows and processes and all the steps to get to the EMR, the documentation, what leads up to it and making sure those are, you're not 
double documenting or circling back to a step you already had to do to, for process improvement. So it really has a hand in floppy and education and IT and operation. It's really a nice, a challenging field because you can always learn. You feel like you're an expert on the EMR, you probably have something to learn in another arena that still fits in your role as an informaticist. It's hugely valuable. And certainly from a clinical standpoint, the nurses in the field have that barrier against the use of technology often. Some are using it really well. And sometimes when you translate that or call a help desk and you're trying to explain what you're trying to do with your device, that translation of technology to the real world of clinical operations doesn't always fit. So I see that as such a huge value to an organization. In your time doing this role, have you seen changes or the value? How is the value demonstrated for the role from your oh, perspective? <laughs> it's huge because as changes happen, and it could be something really small that then kind of trickles into more of a snowball approach of affecting a lot of things. We do a lot of the documentation of those changes. So at least from my experience, it's been really important because of that artifact and documenting and updating the resources to match the current recommendations and ways of doing things because I'll get inquiries like, when did we change this and what did we change it to? Maybe with something so small that a nurse in the field hasn't had to do it in a while. And then when they do have to do it, it's like all those little details are now important and they don't remember and neither does anyone else off the top of their head, but really documenting those changes and whether they're resource documents or videos or process maps to have for reference when they're needed. It's a big part of our role when it comes to changes and things that happen over time. Not only are you translating from the clinical aspect of process to the technology world, but oftentimes you're looking at the technology to see whether or not it really will work for the clinical operations. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Challenging. I definitely have faced over time a lot of vendors stating, we want to hear from the nurses in the field. And I was a nurse in the field. That's why I am in this role. I come of that without taking up their time. So I really see my role as more of a preface so that they're not having to waste their time seeing something that really isn't going to work for them, but maybe narrowing options down to say, okay, now you look at these two options because we had 10. And we quickly ruled out the other eight because they really, because of various factors, would not work for a clinician out in the field or in an IPU or wherever they're at. That's a big part of our role. And I know it's, it's challenging for sure to work with the technology companies that, you know, are selling their products. And you have to kind of see through that sale demo too and be like, okay, but I've seen EMRs that work this way. So how does yours deal with that? You didn't even show us that stuff. Can we see that? So digging a little deeper and pushing those demos to really ask those more detailed questions will really bring to light a lot of things that maybe people just take for granted or assume, you know, oh, it works fine. They just didn't go over it. There's probably a reason they didn't go over it in their demo. Like, <laughs> we like to point those things out and see, you know, See what's going on behind the scenes. We know for sure that every system out there works, 
but they're not all perfect. I wish I had all the money in the world if I had the perfect system out there for every clinician for hospice and home health, and it would be really great, but <laughs> we have what we have to work with. You were very instrumental with a very large selection and implementation process. Tell us a little bit about that selection as much as you can with the overall process for implementation. That's It's a huge project. It's not just like, here, let's plug in this new software and it's going to fix you, all of your problems by next week. <laughs> well, yes. I think a lot of people underestimate the time it's going to take to really implement those projects. But yeah, I really kind of learned backwards on that project because I learned by experience and then after things slowed down and I was able to really get CEUs and go to boot camps and realize like, oh, we actually did it, you know, the right way. So people who have done it before and were successful to help along the way. But that project definitely, it was started out with previewing all the different vendors, seeing what they had to offer, narrowing it down to three options that then staff could come in, end users came in and got the demonstration even more so than the leadership to really weigh in. They had scorecards, so they were able to really objectively define what's most important to the company, what's of the most value, and then pick from one that meets it the best. Nothing's perfect. So you really just have to narrow down on what are our priorities and which one meets those priorities the best. And there was definitely a clear one out of that group of three that could meet all of those priorities. Because I know as an organization, we had a very long list of priorities. So that was definitely a challenge of saying, okay, but what's most important? We get all these boxes checked. And then I really joined the charge once that one was selected in learning it. They send out their trainers and you really just, you have to block the time and devote the time. And I think that's what a lot of organizations and especially operations don't realize is it's worth it to block your week. You can't learn it in an hour. You can't learn it in an hour once a week. You have to really say, okay, we are committed to this. We're all, all the different leadership from all the different areas. It's not just informatics that needs to know this and be involved. It needs to be every part of your organization from pharmacy to copy to compliance to the nurses in the field, the nurses in the inpatient units. And then home health too, when you were speaking, it's like if you can find a software that is one for both, I mean, that's even larger. And then you really need to bring in both aspects of your organization too to say, okay, this works for hospice based on everyone's thoughts and what they're seeing, does it work for home health as well? And really marrying that in together with the different lines of business. But then once you've got it learned, right, um, yeah. <laughs> then you test it. And that's where you can't just go in and flip around. We really had to develop testing scripts and um, all the different scenarios that tripped us up in the present day, those will trip you up in future day too. So you have to plan for how are we going to recommend people do this process, new software. So really spelling that out click by click in a test script, which then once it's successful, you can then take that and expand it and build it into your training documents or your process maps and go from there in that aspect. But the planning phase 
is so huge. And the testing phase is probably the most important, in my opinion. The testing phase will really show you where your gaps are. Mm-hmm. And then got to have a vendor that's willing to hear what those gaps are and try to work with you. We're not asking you to change the complete structure of your system, but we do need options and opportunities for some totally missing things in the system. And that's where the statement of works come in and you really kind of develop, um, you know, the things that are really priority that are really missing, you know, how much are we willing to pay for them and how do we want them to work and implement it, test it again, <laughs> get ready to train somewhere down the line. <laughs> yeah. And it's certainly a lot of what you do, that insight into the clinical operations in those gaps. I mean, what could we do to bridge the gap when we get there, whatever our options are and working with technology is so huge because when the rubber hits the road and we're, we've implemented the product, we need to fill those challenges or have a way to work with them so that we're not doing what you did when you had paper in your hand, <laughs> writing everything down again and not using the system. So process is so important. And I know that with your role with education of staff and operators, is that been a challenge to get people to change from one way of doing things to another way? I know I've seen challenges with organizations that think that they can do everything the way that they've always done, even though the software doesn't quite work that way. So it creates more of a problem. <laughs> yes, definitely. Change management has always been a challenge, probably <laughs> will always be a challenge. I know I struggle and have not in any way mastered <laughs> management <laughs> techniques or leadership in that aspect, but it's really putting it in perspective for people, telling them the why, instead of coming at someone and saying, you have to do it this way because we said so, or because this new software requires that, why does it require it? And how does it help them down the line and opening eyes to big picture, this is going to save you time. And so many times I hear when we're rolling things out, you're adding these three things to my plate. So where are you going to take off an hour? That's a valid question. And I what it has an answer. If we're going to add more steps to the process, enlightening them to how does that make their job more efficient? Where do they get that time back at the day? How does it help them? Like from a technology aspect, I mean, it's vital that you have technology and that you use it to its fullest potential. So yes, it may feel like it's easier for someone to pull out a piece of paper and write on it. But at the end of the day, what are all those gaps that's creating? Someone calls in a patient or family. Now a clinical manager is trying to answer their questions with not the most up-to-date information because what they're referencing does not have that little piece of paper that's written on in the nurse's car as she travels throughout her day versus thinking real time and really being able to see, oh, yes, I can see your nurse came out this morning. I'm reading her note. I can see that the doctor prescribed you a new medication. All of those things that technology allows that visibility and accessibility to the full care team, as well as the patients and families, ultimately, as we move in to the future, there's patient portal opportunities and things that really will open that up even further, save those phone calls, increase satisfaction, because now I don't have to call in to find out when my nurse is coming next, because I can go in my portal and see that. That's the future of post-acute, at least. I know 
in some places that's the present, but we're working towards it and we're excited about it. That's great. That's great. Kind of changing gears a little bit here with the role of being an informaticist, what kind of background do you look for your team or that you see most people have for training? Because there's a lot out there now. There is, and there's so much that contributes to the knowledge and the experience of an informaticist that I would say definitely an open field, an open market for a lot of different backgrounds. We look a lot for healthcare, obviously, in the background. Doesn't necessarily mean you have to be a nurse. A pharmacist could make a great informaticist. A physician, if they're willing, could make (laughs) informaticist and fill some of those gaps that the nursing brain doesn't necessarily have. So I definitely have people on my team that are not nurses that are vital to the team and the role. So definitely, I don't think it necessarily needs a nursing background so much as a healthcare background and a healthcare mind of knowing, being able to put yourself in that situation of where those people are, whether it's the social worker, the chaplain, the aide, the nurse, there's all kinds of different roles on our teams. So Any of those roles could contribute from an informatics perspective, but definitely I think a passion for education and training is huge. You can't be a me mindset. You can't be someone who wants to just work from home and sit at home and not talk to anyone. (laughs) (laughs) Having that desire to really interact and collaborate and coordinate with Everyone in the teams across interdepartments, interteams within the organization is really important. So I don't know that I would like narrow really anybody out. I think <laughs> those backgrounds could contribute to it as long as you're willing to be a part of a team and coordinate with other teams. I mean, that's what the role is all about. Yeah, it definitely is that that overall collaboration and that bridge. So you really have to be good about interpersonal and translating from clinical to the technology lingo, (laughs) so to speak. So Brandy, one of the things that obviously we focus on is the clinical manager role. So when it comes to technology, for that clinical manager that's overseeing a team or overseeing a couple of teams, in your perspective, what should they know? What should they need to know? I like to see people being able to run their own reports and not having things on paper or, God forbid, on on clipboards or whiteboards. (laughs) (laughs) But what should they know? Should they be an expert in their systems or... From your perspective, what works really well? I think that not being afraid of the technology is so important. It's important to remember, like, technology is here to stay. We're in 2022. We're not going backwards. Next year's 2023. Technology is here to stay. You want to make it your friend. Use it. No one really starts out as an expert. So using it, asking questions. I think that informatics and training and development and other departments as a whole are, I dare to say, underutilized from that aspect. If we know someone, it's because they ask a lot of questions. So it's usually a good thing. If we don't know you, then we don't really know what she or he does. Is it okay? So I like to know the people, make technology your friend, make your resources your friend, learn it. A lot of systems have training environments to where if you are that really scared, timid, I don't want to make a mistake kind of person, 
get in your training environment and play around. You can't mess anything up there. And definitely, I would say independence as far as running report, auditing your team, that's going to be huge and is huge. That quality review of the documentation. I mean, I cringe when I hear managers say like, I don't really know what they're documenting. Why don't you? It's literally at your fingertips to check. And so many technologies now have dashboards and filters and search options that really make it kind of no excuses there as far as, yes, there's a lot of different things you could look up, but think of all the things you can look up. It's kind of twisting that narrative of, all these things to do as opposed to like, at least you have all of these things at your fingertips and any time you want to see where was my aid yesterday? How many patients did they see? What's my chaplain doing? Is he even using scheduler and scheduling visits? Because it seems like I get a lot of calls from his patients that he's missing them. Maybe he's working off of a spreadsheet (laughs) (laughs) in hospice of complaints where someone called them to make a visit and the patient passed away. And it's like, was that person who called to make that visit referencing the EMR or were they referencing their notebook? And that's where technology really plays a huge role to know at the, in the moment, up to date, what's the patient's status? Where are they at? Where are they going? And how can we help them? So I would definitely say for a clinical manager, as well as their entire team technology. It's a vital part of what they do, whether they like it or not, just accept it because we're not going to change it. And just the more familiar you are with something, the more comfortable you get. And then I know for myself, I learn from teaching others. So I would say too, if there's a clinical manager struggling, like find a clinical manager, partner, sister team, and teach each other. You probably both know things that the other doesn't. So teaching each other or asking those questions of each other or your other resources and other teams within your organization can really open those doors. Thank you, Brandon. That's really great. You are on my same soapbox with when it comes to (laughs) (laughs) clinical managers need to know the systems. That's why we made it a pillar, (laughs) a foundation for what they need to know. Where do you see the future with technology in hospice and home health? I mean, you're pretty much on the cutting edge now with technology and using them. And certainly you're moving forward in, in your role as well. So tell us, where do you see the future? What's, what do you see coming down the pike? Yeah. So it's so interesting because a lot of people who come from the hospitals and the acute settings will say like, doesn't your EMR do this or can it do that? Mine did it. CERN or an Epic do it. You know what I mean? And it's like CERN or an Epic are not an option for us down here in the (laughs) arena, but I definitely personally think that interoperability as far as like a standardization is coming. I'm really excited about it. I'm really hopeful for it because they have like the very limited like LOINC or SNOMED or DICOM for labs and diagnostics where you have the standard language that any EMR and any technology can speak. But I think they really need to expand that into a hospice nursing assessment. When I go from one hospice to another, there's no reason even if those two organizations are using two different platforms that my chart can't import. Um, I mean, there are reasons obviously today, but that's where I see the future of it being 
there should be no reason. If we're not speaking the same language technology-wise between HL7s and all the things, then let's fix that. Let's make classifications. Let's standardize it and really make it a universal language that we all, in terms of technology, can speak. Same with like going from one line of business to another. So when a patient transitions from home health to hospice, or if a patient doesn't get admitted to hospice and needs home health instead, that's the better fit. Having those records really transfer with them truly because we hear that it can. And then when you see it in action, you're like, yeah, that's still a manual. You're still yeah. that. <laughs> yes, the paper electronically came with their chart, but really truly importing that information automatically or in some interoperable manner. And then I think too, artificial intelligence and these bots, I'm very conservative with those things, but I think there is a place for them. And I think in the future, it's really going to kind of blow our minds as far as auditing goes, because it can really, yes, you need the people to build the bot and build the artificial intelligence, but I really think it could streamline that auditing, whether it be, let's just say, a start of care or an admission and quality review of that start of care and admission. A lot of times, you know, you might use your HIM department to do the technical review and you might use a copy specialist to do a quality review, but you could use your system to put both on one platform and then just have a quick scan instead of this in-depth every admission taking hours to review and really check all these things. Or we have to so much limit what we're looking for because it's people's times that we're really only checking for like a regulatory piece and not checking for those quality pieces, what could have been done better. So I think there's opportunities there from an AI perspective to really bring all that data together in one spot and have it be much faster for a person to then look at the data and pick out what was wrong or what could have been improved. And then same thing with predictive analytics. I mean, I think it's more of a present than it used to be. I know there's a lot of predictive analytics in place now for mortality likelihoods and live discharge risks. I'd like to see those like continue to improve as they're used and get more research in there. But I think predictive analytics, as far as just predicting, is this patient at a higher acuity now? Like, especially in the home health world, are they getting worse or are they getting better? What's these trends and seeing the trends in a digestible manner. And I think that's really where informatics comes into play too, because you can have a data analytics person building all of that, but if it doesn't translate visually to a manager looking at it, mm -hmm. then it's so really having someone say, you know what, instead of a bar graph, let's like put some colors in here or change it to a different presentation visually can really make a big difference. AI is really evolving. We see it with voice recognition and various other things like that. So I can see that in the future. That's really, that's very exciting from somebody who, who knows about all of the assessment data that we put out there for clinicians to look at it. One of the things we don't do in the industry, we put a lot in there <laughs> for the assessment. We don't take time to consistently go back and say, what don't we need in here for the clinicians to go through? So those piles and piles of assessments that we ask our staff to go through and then ask them to have a certain productivity isn't don't mesh. <laughs> so being more efficient on that level is huge. 
Thank you so much for that. So, Brandy, let's switch a little bit and kind of go back to you. A lot of our listeners are people that are starting their career or they've been in their role as a clinical manager for a while. You've been doing this for some time. What is the one thing in your career that you wish you had done differently now, looking back? That's such a good question because I usually, personally and professionally, I live with no regrets what happens, but there's definitely lessons learned and things when you look back, you're like, oh, I could have taken more advantage of that. And that's the one thing I would say I would do differently is you interact with so many different people as your career progresses. I think when I went through school, I was pre-career. I had I was one of those college students who was blessed enough to be a full-time college student and didn't have a job to distract me. And I think you take a little too much advantage of that. And I definitely would say networking is huge, like keeping contacts is huge, as well as just picking the brains of everyone you meet. I think I do a fairly good job of networking or keeping in touch with the people that I meet that I definitely see value in and seeing with. But I would say just asking more questions of those that are more experienced than you further along in their careers than you are definitely 10 years ago. I did not know what I know today, but if you had asked me, I'd probably be like, yeah, I'm, I'm an expert. Sure. Not really. <laughs> Looking back, it's like you're more of a moderate to novice learner there. So definitely taking more advantage of the time you have in your careers and the people you interact with and really picking their brains to find out what can they teach you and what can you learn from them and even if you don't think it's relevant to what you're doing that moment, um, your career might take you in a path where that interaction or that knowledge becomes relevant down the line. So definitely, I would say that nursing things down to wound care and blood sugars and all the treatments and skill still to this day impact me even in my role now as an informaticist, not being patient facing. So I think a lot of people, myself included early on, would really try you get overwhelmed. So you try to narrow down the knowledge you're taking in and really focus on, I'm going to be really good at this one thing, but still not blocking out all those other things that are also being fed to you that you could learn from and put in your back pocket because one day it might become applicable where it's good to know it or it's good to be familiar with it. So I, I guess I would say that would be my biggest lesson learned along the way is just really taking advantage of the interactions and knowledge you get around you. That's so very important to to know and hear that from somebody who's been doing that because so often, and especially now when people don't stay long time in places, that, you know, to continue to ask questions of people, but also retain those relationships. It doesn't mean you have to call them every week and be their best friend, but certainly right. make sure that you don't burn a bridge, essentially, but also that we stay in contact. LinkedIn is a great way to stay in contact with people and other ways as well. Retain their email, make sure that you carry that with you because it Someday you may turn around and say, I have a question about this. Well, who can I ask? And maybe somebody that you met briefly at a conference. It could be somebody that 
you did a project with at an organization that you worked at a couple of years ago. So always very important. Good, good advice, Brandy. Good advice. <laughs> Anything else you want to add before we wrap up? This has been so helpful. No, thank you so much for having me on to chat with us. <laughs> We get a chance to chat with you and I'm looking forward to seeing all these resources. I think it's a great opportunity for managers to just have that many more resources at their fingertips to learn from. Knowledge is power and regardless of what it is, I think of myself as a lifelong learner and I think everyone really should be. Thank you for joining me, Brandy. This podcast has been a presentation of the Clinical Manager Source, helping clinical managers in home health and hospice succeed in their roles and to advance knowledge and expertise in the industry. At the Clinical Manager Source, we strive to encourage and shape the leaders of tomorrow. Check us out at www.theclinicalmanagersource.com. Our courses and books help you to build a foundation in which to grow and build your career in the home health and hospice industry. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please like us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you've listened. We're on most services and really widely available. If you'd like to suggest content or guests for the show, please fill out our feedback form on our website at www.theclinicalmanagersource.com. Looking forward to hearing from you and we'll see you the next time.